Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to the Bible no one told you about. We're going to dive into some stuff today, but let me tell you why. Uh, you may have heard us say this. We've got a meeting coming up where we're going to be talking all about this, but our goal this year is not to simply reopen momentum. We want to relaunch momentum, not just reopen it. We want to go pouring ourselves out to make momentum better and brighter than it's ever been before so we can serve our city, so we can transform lives in Jesus' name, so we can live as a blessing to the world around us. Now, here's what I know for you and for me. If we are going to pour ourselves out, we have to stay filled up. And that's what this Bible No One Told You About series is. This is about digging a biblical well from which you can draw on, from which you can be fed from, from which you can be brought to life from, so you can go running into the world around you in Jesus' name to make it better and brighter as you serve your church, as you serve the people around you, as you serve the people you live with on a day-to-day basis. This series is to grow you and fill you. That being said, I don't have much time today, so I'm going to run straight into scripture. Follow me to John 15. Jesus says in one of his greatest relationship passages, uh, this is some last moments with the disciples. This is Jesus and his disciples together. This is them uh, spending some quality time and Jesus painting a picture of what relationship with him looks like. And he says these words, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I will I and you you will bear much fruit but apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown out into the fire to be burned. However, if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Hold that thought for a minute. Now, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine uh, some good friends of yours went out on a date. Maybe it's a married couple you know, and you know what? You watched their kids for them. Maybe it's college-age young adult, like two of your good friends just went out on a date together and, and spent a whole you know, an evening. It was just a great night, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, on the date, they pulled out a, whatever your version of a great date is. If it's going to some brew pub and eating wings together and hanging out and racing go-karts, then it was one of those. If it's a dress-up, bottle of wine, nice restaurant, sunset, romantic situation. I I don't care what the date is. Just picture uh, a couple you know going out on an amazing date. And later, you talk to your friend about how it went. You know, maybe it's the next day or, you know, you're talking and catching up later later in the week and you say, you know what, hey, tell tell me about the date. And your friend has this disappointed tone. And they go, yeah, you know... I, I just don't feel, it wasn't great. You go, what do you mean it wasn't great? You had the, the, all the stuff and the go-karts and the romance and all that. And your friend goes, yeah, I, you know, honestly, I, I didn't love the date because I didn't get anything out of it. And, and you go, get any, what do you mean get anything out of it? And then your friend goes on to explain, yeah, we were on a date and we spent all this time together, but we didn't make any big decisions. We, I didn't get any guidance on where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. And I, I don't really have an impending crisis that I needed help with or needed to solve. So we just kind of sat there and we were together. And, and, and you'd be very right if you heard a friend to think that, see, you're already with me. You'd be going, wait, something's off in this relationship. 
You'd be going, wait, what about the wine and the romance and the time and the eye contact and holding hands? And what about the fact that you were simply together? Why isn't that in there anywhere? And if you talk to a friend and they came back so functional and so practical saying, I didn't get anything out of my date, although they spent all this time with that significant other, you'd immediately see a disconnect in their relationship. Now, here's what's interesting. It's so easy to spot that when you talk about two friends and their relationship with one another. But as Jesus followers, it is so easy for our faith in God to be reduced to something that simple. We're so practical. We're so busy. There's so much going on. You're raising kids. You're going places. You're trying to advance your career, get an education and all this stuff. And for us, our relationship with God can boil down to that. Did I get something out of it when I opened my Bible? Did I get something out of it when I prayed to God? Did I get something out of it? Did I answer? Did I get the wisdom I need? See, there's three big ones. And oftentimes our relationship with God gets boiled down to I need help in a crisis. Uh, I want wisdom for a big decision or I need God to do something for me. But when we go to Jesus and that beautiful description of the, of the relationship he wants to have with us, he uses, he uses connection language. He uses time together. You may have heard the word in John 15. The key word to that whole passage is this word, remain. Remain in me and I in you and you'll bear fruit. Remain in me. And and you could almost get whatever you ask in Jesus' name. Remain in me and you'll be filled with life. Remain in me and you'll be in an intimate connection. Remain in me and you'll be brought to life and you'll bear fruit and your life will transform other lives. Remain in Jesus and all of the other stuff falls into place. That remain language is connection language, not functional language. I looked it up in in this Bible study tool I use, and the word remain is often translated in many translations as abide, to dwell. It's to stay at a place together, to sojourn, to tarry, to not depart, to continue to be present, to be held, kept, and to do so continually. This is intimacy language. This is relationship language. This is be together language. And yet here in 2021, our lives get so practical and so functional and so achievement driven and progress driven. We import that to our relationship with God and it often becomes something far more functional and far less relational than God ever intended. And I get that. It happens to me all the time. It's so simple and so easy to slip into that in our culture just because of the way things are set up, how much we have to do, how much we have going on. It's so easy to get so functional in your relationship with God. And, And honestly, a pastor like me comes up and starts talking, you need a relationship with Jesus and to connect to him and you just need to abide and and. And you're like, well, yeah, okay, I I guess that's better based on what you're saying, but I don't even know how to do that. What do I do with that, Matt? Glad you ask, because this is where the book of Psalms comes in in your Bible. Oh, we're not in John. We're we're not going to get to John for quite some time. That was just the intro to set you up for where we're at today in our Bible No One Told You About series. We're talking about the book of Psalms. Let me tell you a little bit about it. It, It's spelled Psalms. If you go right to it, literally, you have a pretty good chance if you open your Bible right to the center of landing in Psalms. I don't know why it's spelled with a P. 
Not really sure how it got that way. It's tripped me up for quite some time. But the book of Psalms is a book of poetry and language, and it's such a helpful book. It was written by, uh, mostly by King David, Israel's king, and it's all kinds of worship and poem and, and prose about his relationship and his connection with God. Now, there's all kinds of beautiful poetic literature in there about God's goodness. But the cool thing about the book of Psalms is we see painted into the Psalms some unique ways we can actually dwell with and connect to God. The book of Psalms is unique because it takes that word abide with all of its mystery and and its unclarity and, and it gives us ways we can actually connect to God outside of that help me do this faith. And I want to share four of them with you today. Keep going. We don't have much time. I'm going to roll. The first thing we see in the Psalms is that you can connect to God by simply celebrating with Him. You can celebrate with God. I want you to listen to some of the celebration language that we hear in the Psalms. In Psalm 145, David just simply writes, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They'll tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and how meditate on all of your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness joy, and joyfully, keyword joyfully, sing of your righteousness. Now, that's a prayer. And nowhere in it do you catch David going, oh, by the way, could you please? Or, hey, I'm not really sure if we're supposed to attack the Philistines this weekend. Could you tell me? Which career path. What is it? No, he simply connects to God in a spirit of celebration. In Psalm 104, you get the same thing. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. David simply stops and celebrates the beauty and the imagination of God as it's expressed in creation. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had the opportunity to do that? See, here's what I know. Um, It can almost seem frivolous for a message or for a pastor to come and say, Matt, um, or hey, listen, everyone, you need to celebrate God. You got to just look around. You know, I don't have time for that. I mean, come on, I'm trying to clean up the sins in my life. I'm trying to make it to heaven and make sure my kids are, what are you talking about? It's so silly to just stop and talk celebration, but I would cause you to stop and think about it for a minute. It was the writer and thinker, Christian writer and thinker and philosopher, C.S. Lewis, who said these words, joy is the serious business of heaven. God's got joy wired into his being and he desires for us to experience it. Another writer, G.K. Chesterton, wrote something that you might be able to relate to if you got some kids. Have you, have you ever had that time where you had a little spare energy, so you grabbed one of your children, and I don't know what you did, you threw them in the air, or you spun them around, their feet came off the ground, or, you know, we got a few kids in tow in my house, so you can't do one without doing the others. Let me tell you something. When you throw the kid in the air, and they land on the ground, what is the first thing they say? Again again. 
Every single, I have never had a time where I was playing with my kids and they tapped out first. They say again until I'm utterly exhausted. And Chesterton took that phenomenon and applied it to God's character with these words. He goes, For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Perhaps God is strong enough to exult in a monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Let me decipher and decode that for you. You know what Chesterton is saying there? He's saying, maybe you're taking God more seriously than God is taking you. Maybe you've settled for a distant creator or a God who's out there doing more important things than your joy. And maybe God is a God full of joy, desiring for you to take moments to celebrate with him. Think of creation. Think of Psalm 19 painting a picture saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge in the heavens. God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises on one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of his warmth. And he's simply celebrating the goodness of God. When is the time, the last time that you were able to do the same? John Ortberg writes in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, It's God's intent that his creation would mirror his joy. The psalmist speaks of the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, like a strong man runs his course with joy, Not not merely picturesque language. This is creation expressing God's own unwavering joy at simply being, at existing, and knowing existence to be good. As products of God's creation, creatures made in his image, we are to reflect God's fierce joy in life. Do you know you can abide in God? You can remain in Jesus by simply reflecting on God's goodness, by celebrating the things you see. I'm going to give you a sentence and a practice for each one of these. Here's what happens. When I celebrate God, I learn to relate to Him as a good and benevolent Creator. How do we do this? Spiritual practice, you pause and you take in something good God has made. Hang on, here's, I want you to do that. Like literally, we're going to practice this together. Stop right now. Look out the window. Uh, If you're driving, peek up at the sky. If you're in a house, just find something outside and just pause and think of the God who made it. Can I tell you something? That's worship. That's connection. 
Yeah, we played a worship song in this online service, but what you did right there is as much worship as it is singing. That's good for me. Number one, I'm a bad singer. Number two, I have a lot going on, and I could dwell in Jesus. I could fulfill his command by simply stopping from time to time, moment by moment, for just a small moment, and celebrate and take in the wonder of God's good creation. You can celebrate with God. Two, you can lament to God. See, we, we've talked about this before. It is good to share joy and, and have moments of great joy in your relationship with God. But God can handle your sorrow too. When, what is lament? Maybe that's a church word for you. It's just to pray your pain. When we read through the pages of these Psalms, we see, we see David praying his pain. In Psalm 44, uh, he says this, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Have you ever felt that way? Why do you hide your face and forget about our misery and oppression? We are brought down to dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Notice here, David was not afraid to take his problems with God to God. See, often we have a problem with God. We take our ball and go home. David had the courage and the audacity to say, God, I have a problem with you, and it is this. I don't like this anymore. I remember this, I remember this other psalm. And, and hang on, let me, let, me, let me slow down. Before I tell, I'll tell you two things about lamenting. Um, one, I'll tell you, we tiptoe around God and nervous and, oh, he's this. No, can I tell you something? God can handle your pain. He can handle your language. He can handle your anger. He can handle your bitterness. He can handle your disappointment. And he can handle the words you choose to express those things to him. There's another lament in the Psalms. And it gets very graphic. And David is taking in a, he's considering a nation that opposed and oppressed Jerusalem. And in Psalm 137, he prays these words as a prayer. He says, God, remember those Edomites and remember the ruin of Jerusalem. That day they yelled out, wreck it, smash it to bits, and you Babylonians, ravagers, a reward to whoever gets back at you for all you have done to us. Yes, a reward to the one who grabs your babies and smashes them on the rocks. Is that God's will? No. Is that God's heart? No. But can God handle language when you throw it at him in, your, in the face of hard times and sorrow and oppression? Oh, absolutely. He can handle it. You know the other thing I'll tell you about lamenting? God would rather deal with the real you who has some issues than the imaginary version of you that pretends like everything's okay. Can I tell you something? As your pastor, I'm the same way. I would rather deal with the real you your anger, your true thoughts, feelings, your bitterness, and your hurt, then have you show up at a momentum service pretending like everything's okay. Because God can handle it. And you know, let's be honest. There's times in life where the only thing you have to offer God is sorrow. I remember being in sixth grade and going on a journey I never wanted to go on with my childhood best friend. At a sleepover one night, I remember we were hanging out in his backyard. His parents had gone to bed. And I had sensed something was a little off that day. And around sixth grade, I remember my good friend telling me, we found out my dad is having an affair. 
I didn't even know what one was until that evening. But man, as a close friend of that family, I could see the damage it did. I watched the home rhythms get upset. I watched his father leave the house for an unknown amount of time. I watched his older siblings deal with the disappointment and frustration in their own ways. I watched the pain in my good friend's heart. And, you know, his mom, it was that mom that had become like my adopted, you know, like how your best friend's mom is kind of your mom too sometimes. And I would watch the pain of betrayal in this woman's heart. And to her credit, I remember watching as time unfolded and she made every effort to reconcile and repair her relationship. It unfolded over the course of seven years. I was there as his dad came back. And I was there as there was tension in the home as they tried to figure out or refigure out how to do life together. I remember the counseling. I remember hearing their stories. I remember seeing some good moments. I remember, uh, I remember here's what I could tell you. I remember my good friend's mother doing every thing right to repair the relationship. Godly counseling, forgiveness, reconciliation, more forgiveness, Bible studies, community, friends, confiding, leaning on God, forgiving some more. For seven years they rebuilt, only to find out seven years later he had started another relationship with another woman. And in midlife, my friend's mother realizes her dreams are gone. What she thought she would always have is gone. Those seven years are gone and they're never coming back. Let me ask you something. What does somebody in that position have to offer God in that moment? You have sorrow. You have anger. You have tears to offer. And that's about it. But God can handle it. He can take what it is you give him and bring comfort, healing, and you can fulfill Jesus' command. You can have a relationship with God even if the only foundation you have is pain. You can lament. When you lament, you relate to God like a true friend. Like a true friend. Emphasis on the word true because when you're angry with God or you want to yell at Him, curse, whatever it is for you, I'll just tell you something. When I go to my true friends, I spit it to them real. And you can do the same with God. Spiritual practice, I'll tell you what, it's pray what you got. And if all you got is bitterness and all you got is anger, and all you got is tears, you can pray those to God and He can handle them. Let's give, keep moving. You, you can give thanks to God. You know, giving thanks is probably one of the most dominant themes in the, in the Psalms. You know, David is known as a man who walked with God intimately, who experienced God's presence frequently 
And I think it's because of the way he gave thanks so much. I'll just tell you something in your pursuit of God. There is something about gratitude and thanksgiving that attracts God's presence. We have psalm after psalm after psalm where David is simply giving thanks. In Psalm 717, it says, I will give to the Lord thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. 28.7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. I, my heart exalts in my song. It, sorry, and with my song I give thanks to him. Sacrifice and thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you and, and you will honor me. Um, Psalm 69, 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Let me cut to the chase. When, you are, when, uh, when I give thanks to God, I acknowledge him as my true provider. When I pause and I share things I'm grateful for with God present, I, I, I'm acknowledging that he's where my hope comes from. He's where my health comes from. He's where what I have comes from. And it wouldn't be possible without him. Here, here's how I do this. This is a personal spiritual practice of mine. I, I just write down every single morning, I write down three things I'm thankful for. And I'm telling you, there is something about starting your day with gratitude that invites the presence of God to be there with you. You know, I'll, I'll tell you something again that's kind of personal to me, but it, it flows from this verse in Psalm 111 about Thanksgiving. It says, I will thank the Lord with all of my heart as I meet with godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord and all who delight in him should ponder them. We get a vision here of what it looks like to live your life full of faith. And he says, there's something sweet and beautiful about getting together with a friend and to, to sit and ponder all the ways God has blessed you. And I'm telling you, that should not be unusual if we have faith in God. It shouldn't be bizarre. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I just have by God's grace, landed at this place, I sit in full, daily, I sit in full view of the fact that I could have never gotten to who I am and where I am without the goodness of God getting me. I continue to say that God has gotten me and taken me farther than I could ever have taken myself. And a couple weeks ago, I had breakfast with a friend who thinks the same way. We had just paused and at breakfast, I go, man, can you believe what God has done with us? And I said, do you, know, do you know I'm just three generations removed from the coal mines of West Virginia? And he said, do you know I'm just three generations removed from the cotton fields of the South? I said, do you know the house that I grew up in is worth one-tenth the price of the house I live in now? He said, do you know my stock portfolio right now is seeing numbers my relatives and family members could have never dreamed of. And oh my gosh, we were not boasting in who we were and what we've done. We were boasting and giving thanks to our God because we could have never made it to this place without Him. And I'll tell you the craziest thing that happened at that breakfast. It was like the presence of God came and sat down at that breakfast table with us to enjoy 
the celebration of his goodness. There is something about thanksgiving that draws you to the presence of God. Here's one more, okay? You can confide in God. You can go to God for comfort. What do I mean confide in God? In times of trouble, in times of pain, and in times of hurt, you can confide in God. Psalm 18, 2 says it like this, The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. And this is a time where you truly needed a fortress to be safe and to be held. It says, and he's my deliverer. My God is my rock and who I take. What? Refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You can go to God for comfort. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. What did I do in pain? What did I do when I was distressed? I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. For his temple, he, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. You know, if you were to do more work on the Psalms and dig into them a little more, or the life of David in 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, you would know that there were times when David had to turn to God because he had nowhere else to turn. And that's why here at Momentum, let me tell you something. You know, I'm not going to ever get down on people to, for only going to God when they need something because that's better than not going to God at all. There were times when David fell on his face in front of God because he had nowhere else to turn. Psalm, or 1 Samuel 36, it says uh, David's engaged in this battle and everything's going wrong. It's upside down. It's dark. And it says... David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter, bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him, that is, to kill him. But here's these key words. But David found the strength in the Lord his God. Can I tell you something about these words? This is a dark passage. These are lonely words. These are not the end of my rope words. These are, I've let go of my rope and now I'm in a free fall and I need someone to catch me words. And it's, what did David do? It says he found his strength in the Lord. He had nowhere to turn but God himself. I can remember after having our daughter Lucy and our daughter Penny experiencing our first miscarriage. And you know, I'll tell you straight up, it, it affected Brit in way more serious and heavy ways than it affected me. But it ate me alive because there was nothing I could do for her to ease the sorrow. Oh, we, we felt all the pain of loss. We had names picked out and a hope and a future. We had all kinds of stuff planned for this life and what it would be and become only to experience the pain of losing it. At the time, we were a part of a small group. And so, like we always say, we took what was going on in our life, we confided in our small group for help and for hope, for hope getting through this, for words of encouragement. And, and, and we share one evening and I remember however it had played out, 
we had small group one week and then the next week we were doing Halloween and and we had made plans as a small group. Uh, Britt and I threw the party. We made mole. We're going to eat mole and we're going to take the kids around trick-or-treating. It's going to be this amazing time together and man, I'll never forget a week after telling our small group this. At our party, someone from the group decides that's the time to stand up and announce to the whole group that she's pregnant. I looked across the room at my wife's face and it looked like she had been stabbed in the stomach with a dagger. She was wearing the pain of that insensitivity. We survived the rest of that night. And it was so bizarre because the place we were supposed to go to be healed of our pain had now become the source. And we had nowhere to turn but to God. But here's what I can tell you. He was there. We turned to Him, we called on Him, and He answered. And when we had nowhere else to go, we had a God who was there, who was understanding, and who was faithful. Can I tell you something? If you've been marked by pain, there's a God who can handle it and who can heal it. And I know that from my own experience. Here's what I know. When I confide in God, I experience God as my comforter and my healer. I wish it wasn't this way, but there's some connection between you and God that can only be grown when you experience meeting Him in your pain. But when you do, it changes everything. What do you do? What's the spiritual practice? You go running to God in your time of need. And trust me, you'll find a God who's there for you. Now, we've covered a lot today. There's a lot of scripture and a lot of psalm. I'll recap for you. You can celebrate with God. You can lament to God. You can give thanks to God. And you can confide in God. But here's what I want you to see more than anything. Behind each one of these words exists a God who's craving relationship with you. Your responsibility is to simply lean into Him. I love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.